CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. We stepped on the court together that first game, our sophomore year. Everything else is history. We all knew you can only go to college one time. And we were enjoying it so much. And we were enjoying each other so much. So let's, let's come back. And let's have the time of our life one more year. And that's what we did. I'm always going to put us number one. Mm. I always tell everybody, it may be teams with better players than us, but I don't know if it's a better team to ever play in college. Yo, welcome to All Things Covered with Patrick Peterson and Bryant McFadden, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. The name says it all. If you like what you hear, make sure you leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. You can also watch us on YouTube. Just visit youtube.com slash Covered. So make sure you subscribe and turn on your alerts so you can get the show right away. We have another special episode for you. We've been so focused on football, but guess what? We can't ignore March Madness. Although my Seminoles are now out, it has still been a fascinating tournament. This conversation allows us to take a trip down memory lane with a guy who had multiple shining moments, Corey Brewer. Enjoy. You guys know what time it is. Let's get right to our guest. Like I said during the intro, an unbelievable guest joined us here. All things covered. Patrick Peterson, Brian McFadden, currently part of the New Orleans Pelican staff. Spent 13 seasons in the NBA. Won a title in 2011 with the Dallas Mavericks. A two-time national champion in college, including the 2007 Most Outstanding Player of the Final Four. Unfortunately, he won those championships with a team, with a school, with a university I don't like. Outside of that, he's an ideal individual, a high-character guy. He just decided to go to the wrong university, <laughs> which is the University of Florida. But other than that, unbelievable guy, Corey Brewer, joined us here, all things covered. Corey, how you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me, man. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know, know if I went to the wrong school. You might have went to the wrong school, man. <laughs> and you know, you know how we, what we say, and I'm pretty sure you guys say, say it also, man. There's only one school in the state of Florida. And for us, we believe that school is in Tallahassee. And I guess it's safe to say you guys would say that one school is in Gainesville, but we don't like you. You don't like us. The feeling is definitely mutual. Oh, for sure. You're, you're either gator or you're gator bait. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to let you slide today. <laughs> I no, no doubt. Thank you for joining us here, man. As you guys that are currently watching us on YouTube, you see Corey smiling from ear to ear. There are so many photos and videos of you smiling on the court. And some pros, you know, tend to keep that smile uh, to themselves or hide that smile. But you seem to embrace it. Where, where does that joy and passion come from during game time with you? Um, just knowing, man, I get to play basketball for a living. So I was always happy anytime I'm on the court. Anytime I was, anytime I still am, when I'm out here coaching or doing anything, you know, just to have the opportunity to be in the NBA, that's, you, it makes you smile. I don't care what nobody said. You can play the tough guy role all you want, but hey, man, I'm a country boy from Portland, Tennessee, and I, I played 13 seasons in the NBA, so I'm a happy yeah, dude. No doubt. And speaking of your, speaking of your Tennessee ties, in 2004, you were Mr. Basketball in the state of Tennessee, a McDonald's All-American and a five-star recruit. You were also the number four ranked small forward in your class. 
We're going to start off by testing your memory a little bit. Do you remember who was ahead of you? You were ranked number four. What three players were ranked ahead of you? Um, I say Rudy Gay. Yep, that's one. Malik Harrison. N- wrong. It wasn't Malik. Ooh, well, Josh Smith. That's okay. And Josh Smith was number one. Yeah, so it's Josh Smith and Rudy Gay for sure. I thought it yeah. was Malik Harrison. I don't know who's the third one. The third one played in in the NBA, and we also had him on our show earlier during the football season. He he won a championship. He he has the same last name as Josh. Oh, J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith. He was ranked number three. Oh, I thought J.R. was a two guard. Okay. Hey. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They had him ranked, uh, uh, small fours. Josh, Josh Smith was number one. Rudy Gay number two. J.R. Smith for number three. Okay. That's, yeah. That's they had, they had, listed, right they had him listed. Yeah. They had him listed as a, as a, as a small forward. Of course, you know, throughout his professional career, mostly a shooting guard, but coming out of high school, small forward. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. 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 You just learned something here on All Things Covered. Going back to your roots I'm right there. something for sure. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, upon you graduating from high school, you decided to go to University of Florida, right? That 04 class was a legendary class. And I think the legend started to really group. It, it, it was born throughout your time there in Gainesville because you signed on with Al Horford, Joe Kim Noah, Tori and Green. Uh, which was four out of the five in the starting lineup for both national championships. Uh, but you were ranked 20 in, in the nation. Horford was ranked 42nd. Noah was 70, 73rd and Green was 105 nationally. But when you talk about the legend that you guys were able to create, it was because you guys won championships together. Uh, and, and when you look at that class that you signed, that signed with you, being able to win back to back championships, uh, how did you guys go from a solid recruiting class to arguably one of the best classes to ever come through Gainesville? Uh, man, I think it's all about when we got there, we just, we instantly had a bond and we weren't only just friends, like, or just teammates. We were like best friends. So for us, when, um, we first got there, we we're all roommates. Me, Al, Torin, and Joaquin, we were all roommates. So instantly we all like became friends and then it just, Went from there to on the court. When we got on the court, everything just started to click. Even as we were freshmen, we played pickup against the older guys, and we were winning because, you know, we just knew how to play together. So by the time my sophomore year came around, um, Matt Walsh, David Lee, and Anthony Robeson all went to the NBA. So it was our chance to shine. Mm-hmm. We couldn't wait. You know, it was like, oh, that's what we've been waiting on. We did a whole year, you know, doing the right things as freshmen. You know, I started and Al started, but Joaquin barely played and Torian was a backup. So now we got our group together. It's our time to prove ourselves. And I think that's where it all started right there. We stepped on the court together that first game, our sophomore year. Everything else is history. So we went 17 straight. And then, you know, we, we got our confidence, I guess you can say. Yeah. At what point during that 2006 season did you guys realize, like, yo, we can win this. We can win it all. We can win the entire thing. I don't think, I'm not going to say we knew we could win it all at this time, but um, we went to the coaches versus cancer. We were in New York City. Mm-hmm. And we beat um, Syracuse and Wake Forest. And it was one of those things like, hey man, we're, we're pretty good. Like, like we got, we got, had ourselves together. We went back. We were talking. We got back to, um, got back to campus. We were all like, hey, we got a chance to do something special. We just got to keep it up. We just got to keep getting better. And, you know, after that, I think um, midway through the SEC schedule that year, we felt like, hey, man, nobody can really beat us if we play our best game. So, yeah. And I think that's when we took off and ran with it. 
So you had a chance to go pro after the first title in 2006, but everyone decided to return, not just yourself, the entire class, uh, the guys that I mentioned decided to return. And, and then a year later, of course, you guys were, were able to win another championship. Talk about how special that was, being able to get back to the title, get back to the final four and win it all, all over again. Uh, it was special just because um everybody was saying we we should have went. You know, everybody was saying, you go go to the NBA. You got a chance to go to the NBA. Why would you come back to school? But for us, we all knew you can only go to college one time. Like, you mm-hmm. only get that one that experience one time. And we were enjoying it so much, and we were enjoying each other so much. And just being the way we were, um, being so close, um, we had to come back. It was one of those things where – you can go to the NBA, but the NBA is still going to be there. We can only do this one time. So let's let's come back and let's have the time of our life one more year. And that's what we did. When we got back to the Final Four, you know, it was all about winning it all that whole year anyways. And just being able to win it all, it was it meant everything. It was everything at the time. And I think, you know, it's safe to say, you know, making that decision to return, it, it worked out in, in, in all y'all favor. You know what I mean? Because for you, you ended up becoming a for sure lottery pick. You know, everybody else got drafted extremely high, except uh, Green, who was in the second round, if not mistaken. And you were able to win another championship. You know, winning one championship is tough. I don't care on what level, but going back and winning it again. Not too many people say they can go back to back like Drake says. You know what I'm saying? So that definitely was impressive. So question for you, and I know, unfortunately, you know, the fans in Gainesville would love to hear your answer, unfortunately. Which championship team was better, 06 or 07? Oh, man, <laughs> that's a tough, a tough question just because we basically were the same team. <laughs> you had a few, you had a few new pieces yeah, on the 07. We uh, the starting lineup was the same for both championships, right? If I'm not mistaken, yeah. right? Our starting lineup and our, our two guys off the bench basically were the same. Basically were the same. Yeah. Yes. So we just so, added them. Instead of Adrian Moss, our older, our big older guy, um, mm-hmm. the first time we won it, we added, um, Maury Space, a freshman who ended up being a, a lottery pick also. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's tough to say if you look at both those teams. Um, which, which team had the, the, the toughest path to get to a championship between 06 and 07? Um, I'd probably say, um, the first time we won it was a tougher path. Just because we had to play a Villanova team that was loaded, and they had just beat us the year before, and um, Georgetown played us really well with Jeff Green and um, Roy Hibbert. Mm-hmm. So, first time the path was probably tougher. The second time it was tough, but after winning the first time, we just we knew what we had to do win games, and mm-hmm. nothing really could rattle us because you know you could get up on us, but we knew we were always going to be in every game, and we were going to end up winning. We're currently right now, you know, involved in March Madness. Uh, the final four is going to be here sooner than later. And when you look at some of the m- more iconic championship teams of the last century, where would you rank your teams when you look at 06, 07? If you had to pick one of those teams and compare them to some of the more prolific championship teams we've seen over the last few years, to say the least, where would you put the Florida Gators? Uh, I'm always going to put us number one. Mm. I always tell everybody I'm- it may be teams with better players than us, but I don't know if it's a better team to ever play in college. And I'll put our team up against anybody. You can go yeah. no matter who they had, who they got. Like, we had everything. We had a point guard who knew how to run the show. We had a two guard who didn't miss. We had me out of the versatile wing. We had two of the best bigs to ever play in college, in my opinion. And, and defensively, we played D and we had O. So we had everything. So I'm, I'm going to say, I'm taking us no matter what. 
I mean, I, 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 you have to. You have to be biased, right? You're a competitor. You guys were able to win two championships, so that speaks volume on the talent and, and the success you guys were able to create. Uh, but, you know, there are going to be a lot of naysayers that are watching us and listening to us. You know, you got the 2001 Duke Blue Devil team with Shane Battier, Jay Will. Uh, those guys were phenomenal, well-coached. You got 05 UNC, North Carolina, Tar Heels, Tar Heels with Felton and McCants and Sean May. 2012 Kentucky with Anthony Davis. So this is quality barbershop talk, to say the oh, least, when you talk about debating. And I think it's only right. It's March Madness. And you got a valid point, though, Brewer. I mean, not too many people – can say they went back to back with basically, like you said, the same team. So it's, it's hard for me to say as a basketball fan, I have to throw my hate. You know, I'm not throwing my hate to the side ever with the Gators, but you got a valid point, my friend. Oh yeah, for sure. We're, I always say that because everybody always brings up they had this guy, they had that guy. I'm like, but our team, the way we play team ball, you didn't know who was going to be on that night. There's, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to scout a team that, we just, whoever, however you matched up, whoever was the weakest link, we was going at the weakest link all night. So unless you have five guys that was playing D, that's the only way you can have a chance against us. And there ain't too many teams that have five guys playing defense. And how did you guys learn to sacrifice certain things with those championship teams? Because all you guys had, a, had made a name for yourself by the time you won it in 06 and then deciding to not go pro when you could have all went pro and got drafted coming back and learning to compromise, to say the least, because individually said you guys could dominate. So how did you learn to sacrifice certain things just to be able to get back to that championship level again? Um, we all knew if we were, if we won, we would all get to where we want to get to, which was the NBA. And I don't think some, I think sometimes kids don't understand, like if you're on a winning team, it means a lot. It speaks volumes. So you can average 20, but if you're losing every night, why not average 15 and win every night? I think um, winning brings gives you more value, and I think that's what we the way we always felt. Like the more we won, the more value we were gonna have. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we knew to win basketball games, how can you match up with us every night? Because any of us can, we all can score, we all can do do different things. So every night somebody was gonna have a mismatch, so that guy was gonna get the points. <laughs> and we all were, we were like really best friends. We were all roommates. We lived together for three years. So why wouldn't I want my brother to? Had to go out there and play his best game. If I had to get six this night, oh, that's cool. I get six, but we won. Joe mm-hmm. had 30. Well, the next night, if Al gets 25, I had 10, we still won. And they felt the same way. Just if I have 25 and they have four, nobody's mad because we won. Yeah. And, and, and talking about the togetherness that you guys were able to display, clearly that was in place. Why is it so hard right now to see teams – go back-to-back in college basketball. I mean, think about this, Corey. The last team to, to do that was your it was your team, the 07 team. I mean, now you don't usually see teams go back-to-back in college basketball. Why is it so hard, and do you think we will see a back-to-back champion anytime soon? I think now just because um so many one-and-done guys, every guy is just coming to college for a pit stop and going right to the NBA. Mm-hmm. So, you know, teams are always different. Each year there's different teams. Whoever gets the best recruits, you know, they might have one year with them, and then two guys go to the league. So it's never really chemistry for a team. So I mm-hmm. feel like each year it's always going to be a different team. Unless this yeah. one time, you know, may get lucky like we did. We had four guys who really cared for each other and who did the right things to win championships. You know, that could happen. You never know. 
Yeah, it's true. You don't even see teams go back to back in in final four appearances, better yet win a championship. So a good point there, because most players are one and done. You don't see the unity that you guys had collectively to all come back and try to do it all over again. So that's a a sound point you made when it comes to the the chemistry and so many players just venturing off to the NBA. Is there a sense of nostalgia you go through during this time of the year when March Madness is in play? We're seeing so many outstanding college basketball uh, games, teams trying to get to the Final Four. Is there a sense of nostalgia you go through? Oh, for sure, man. Every time I watch a game, I'm like, man, that's that's a good old day. Just being out there, must win. Like, there's no series. It's just one game. Anybody can beat anybody because if somebody has their best game, they can knock you off. So you got to play your best game every game. Um, that's why it's, that's a great thing about college basketball, especially NCAA tournaments. Anything can happen. Two part question for you. Something I would never get an opportunity to do is cutting down the net when you win a championship. What is that feeling like? And what is the most memorable feeling you have, even to this day, when you watch March Madness, when you watch the Final Four, what is the one thing that always sticks out to you, even when you watch the highlights or watch the game or watch when the entire season is over and done with? What What is the most memorable thing you take away from college basketball? To be honest, I always think about the first time we won it. Um, we cut the nets down once you mm-hmm. cut it, and then they play one shining moment. Oh, Near yeah. one shining moment. Yeah. It, that's, I was like, we made it. Like the first time we won it, like you look. So, there so Corey, you actually hear play. that in the arena? You hear one shining moment in the arena when you cut down a net? Yeah, they play I it. Thought, so I we, thought it was just on TV. It, nah, they play it in the arena. And like, wow. The first time was crazy. The second time, I ain't gonna lie. It was, it was some tears wanted to come out just cause it's that, that they play it, and we're sitting there, and it's like the last time we're going to be here together. And we mm. just won, and they play one shining moment. It was like, man, this is, like, it's unbelievable. Like, I always think about that. Like, anytime I'm watching the game, I'm like, man, when you win that championship, you hear that one shining moment. Come oh, on. It That's, hit different. It, it hit, hit different. different. It hit different for everybody. Because for oh, me, okay. you know, I never played college basketball. I only played high school basketball. But when I watched the Final Four, when I watched the championship game, that's the one thing I'm waiting for. I didn't – I did not know – they actually play that in the arena and it makes it even more memorable just hearing that. Cause I know for you guys, you know, being basketball fans, playing the game, you know, playing uh, college basketball and get to that level. When you hear that and something that you've probably been watching your entire life. Oh man, I know that's a wonderful feeling. Oh, uh, for sure. Cause like think about it. when you're a kid, you're growing up, you watch the story tournament and they play one shining moment. It's like the best thing in the world. So for me, when to actually like be on one shining moment to look up there and see myself diving for a loose ball, like I was like, "Hey, man, this is what it's all about." Yeah, yeah, that 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 that's something that college basketball uh, they have over college football. When that one shining moment hit, it, it, it touches your soul from top to bottom. <laughs> Everything from the tournament, all the plays made. So. Yeah, that one shining moment. That's 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 a great song. <laughs> did you did you get a chance to to keep the part of the net you cut both years? Yeah. So you still have it? Yeah, they're my mom's house in the in the little trophy room in the back. Okay, okay, that's that's what's up. That's that's a nice piece of memorabilia to have. I can tell you that much. Yeah, and I got a gymnast tie. The first oh. time, yeah, the first time we won the final four, I actually got two of his ties. He gave me one. Of, he gave me his tie. Did he sign it for you? Nah, he just gave me his tie. Like I was, 
I couldn't believe it. It's like, yo, we got, we got to try to, hey, Corey, you got to get Jim Nance to sign that for you. I'm pretty sure he'll sign it for you. For sure, I got to get him to sign it. But Jim Nance is great. I always say, if Jim Nance is doing one of your games, uh, it's a big game. You're playing in a big game. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, no doubt. No doubt. I know for me growing up watching college football, anytime I heard Keith Jackson voice, I knew it was a big game. It's It's a a big big deal. Yeah. Jim Nance has that same uh, effect. You know, when you hear Jim Jim Nance, it's a big deal. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of your championship days with the Gators, one of your former collegiate teammates, Joe Kim Noah, announced his retirement less than a month ago. It was just announced that Al Horford, also your former collegiate teammate, won't suit up again for the rest of the season uh, with the Thunder. You're getting you're getting into coaching now. If you guys are watching us on YouTube and you should be watching us on YouTube, uh, you see Coy has on a Pelicans T-shirt. How do you reconcile the fact that the famous trio you, you guys had? They're now, you all are now entering your second lives of your career. Um, it's crazy. Time flies, man. Time flies. But, um, it's been a great ride and we're all still close. Like I knew Joe was going to, he was going to be done way a long time before he just announced it. Al still can play, but you know, he's in a rebuilding situation, um, over there in Oklahoma. So, you know, he's always going to be a, uh, the ultimate pro. He's a real professional. So I'm happy that they're, let them doing the things they're doing over there. You know, he can stay healthy and hopefully next year he goes to a situation a team can really use him. But hey, we're getting older, man. That's <laughs> the way life works. We all got kids now, so it is what it is. Do you guys ever uh link up in the off season when everybody is free to some degree to kind of chill out together or not really? Um we we have, but we're all over the place. So yeah, I mean, it's never we haven't had four of us together in uh, um, um, three of us sometimes, but you know, I'm pretty sure soon now that we're all getting to the end, we're, it's going to be a lot more on vacations together, I guess, when, it, when it's COVID's over. Hey, Corey, I guess you got a one up on those guys because, of course, y'all all won collegiate championships together, but you got that main championship. You ever bring, you ever throw that on the table when you guys are together, having that one up with that uh, NBA championship? Nah, man, I, I don't throw it up there. I talk, <laughs> I talk enough trash. I, I don't need Wait a minute. Do you talk more trash than Joe Kim Noah? Oh, hey, we we both talk a lot of trash. So. <laughs> <laughs> On our team, Joe Kim just he's the heart and soul of the team for sure. But you know, I just, uh-huh. I keep I keep us going. You know, keep us upbeat. And yeah. Then, and then Al's the rock. Al's always gonna do the right things. Steady. And then mm-hmm. Torian, Torian was the guy. He was all over the place. So yeah, we, we everybody had different personalities. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Going back to your your Gainesville days, not only did the basketball team have it going on in the mid-2000s, to say the least, but also the football team, unfortunately. What was it like catching the early days of Tebow mania? Uh, it was great. You know, I was um, he was there for two years because he came early because um, he graduated high school early. So yep. seeing a lot of Tebow, um, it was amazing. Um, just um, we're winning, they're winning. Campus is crazy. The whole year our campus was crazy which was the the great thing about being a Florida Gator at that time. And we're the only school ever in the history to win it in football and basketball the same year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, that was a big statement for, like, what we were doing when we were on that campus. Yeah. Upon your time ending in Gainesville, you get drafted to the Minnesota Timberwolves, number seven pick, lottery. That's big. That's big time. Going in the lottery, just going anywhere in the NBA draft is big time. But you were uh, top 10. Uh, you go from winning two titles in a row to a team in the Timberwolves that had just traded 
the big ticket in Kevin Garnett for a bunch of young pieces. How would you evaluate your transition into the NBA, especially coming from a winning culture there in Gainesville? It was tough. (laughs) Oh, my God. And it was cold, right? Oh, man. So I went from the sun to the cold. And I got drafted when I got drafted. KG was still on the team. Yeah. So, so you thought you were pretty good. You thought you were in a good situation. They couldn't use any of my draft interviews because all I talked about, I can't wait to play with KG. Uh-huh. And two weeks later, they trade KG for a bunch of young guys. So we're basically rebuilding. Uh, that was hard. That was yeah. hard. I went from going in every night knowing I'm going to win to going in every night just hoping we have any kind of chance. <laughs> Best case scenario, uh, you guys were hoping. I never lost that much in my life. Yeah. It was cold. I wasn't playing my best basketball because it was a new system. We played mm-hmm. on, we slowed it down and threw it in the post because we had just signed out Jefferson to a big contract. Mm. So I was, I was playing. I wasn't playing the game I'm used to playing. Yeah. That was a, that was a hard year. So I can um, imagine. I'm Especially happy, I made, I'm you happy I made it through. <laughs> to be yeah. honest, I'm happy I made it 13. <laughs> I'm happy I'm missing years because that, that was a rough year. And then the next year, I played like eight games in terms of ACL. So my yeah. first two years were horrible. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine, especially, you know, just making that transition. Being a part of a rebuild is never a good thing. You know what I mean? When you talk about sports. So I can tell you this much, you know, brighter days were ahead and they came. You know, a couple years into into your career, uh, you go from not making the playoffs to linking up with the Dallas Mavericks and winning a title in your very first postseason appearance. What was the mindset going into the finals against LeBron James, D-Wade, Chris Bosh? Everybody is jumping on the heat bandwagon at that time, and you guys were able to do the unthinkable. What was the mindset going into that finals against the heat? That, um, that we were being disrespected. You mm. know, nobody even talked about us. Yeah, um, you're right. It was all about the heels. <laughs> so for us, it was, it was like, all right, they're disrespecting us. And you didn't realize we had a lot of <laughs> great players on that team. You know, we had them, um, Sean Marion, Dirk Nowinski, Jason Kidd, Jason Terry. Jay Terry. Man, Deshaun Stevenson, Brandon Haywood. We had Tyson Chandler, the big anchor back there. So we had a good team, so we felt disrespected, and I think that's that's what we took in the finals. If you're going to disrespect us, we're going to show you we're not to be disrespected. Yeah, and, and talking about the disrespect, there, there's an infamous clip of LeBron James and D-Wade mocking Dirk uh, for being sick. I know you remember it, Remember that. Uh, do you remember Dirk taking that personally? Oh, for sure. He took it personally. Yeah. What, what, did he, what did he Did he say anything? Did he do anything when he found out, when he saw that clip? He just shook his head. It was like, okay. Was like, you know, when, you, when somebody shakes their head, like, I got something for you? Yeah. It was that one. And he had a lot for him. <laughs> and did you guys feel some type of way as well? Because, you know, Dirk was was the leader. You know what I mean? He was a, a prime top-tier player at that time. And just seeing, you know, LeBron James and D-Wade mocking, you know, him for being sick, did you guys take that personally as well? Oh, for sure. Everybody did. You know, we seen it. Everybody seen it. and. No, they're making fun of our, they're making fun of the big guy. You yeah. can't make fun of the big guy. Cause you make fun of the big guy, you make fun of everybody. And I guess that's kind of the way we went out there and played. Cause we played our, we played some great basketball that series. Hey, Corey, were you a part of the team? Were you there with the team after you guys won? Cause I, I, I was living in South Florida at that time. After you guys won that championship that Sunday, 
You guys went to Club Live with the NBA trophy there in the club celebrating popping bottles. If I'm not mistaken, I think Mark Cuban was there as well. Were you there? Oh, for sure. <laughs> was there. We were all there. <laughs> hey, what was Great that? Night. Was that was that intentionally done? As was that something that you know you, you guys were still in Miami want to have some fun, or you felt like you know what? Let's go party at the the biggest club in Miami and bring the championship to kind of twist that knife a little bit into all the Heat fans that would be there. Was that intentionally done? I want to say it was intentionally done, but after we won it, um, Cube's great, so he he wanted to do it big, so we did it big, <laughs> and that's what it's all about. So did Mark Cuban pay for the tables or you guys had to, how, how did that situation go? You, you, y'all just, just needed to show up and Cuban take care of the rest. We just showed up. We just won the championship. We just showed up. <laughs> Man, <laughs> showed hey, up I wonder what that, I wonder what that bottle service was like, what the price tag was on that bottle service. Cause I remember you guys had a lot of bottles. Uh, that price was way up there for sure. <laughs> you, you remember the price tag when it was over and said, over and done with? I barely remember that night. <laughs> hey, that's how it's supposed to be when you win that, when you win that, that chip. <laughs> Whatever happens, happens, right? Great night. No question. And talking about a night, let me test your memory again. I'm going to throw a date out to you. Let me see if you remember this date. April, April the 11th, 2014. What happened on that date? Oh, yeah. Oh, great night. That was, that was a really good night. Um, I couldn't miss that night. That's okay. I had, I had 51, you know, in Minnesota. Uh huh. Yep. That was a fun night too. <laughs> Man, walk us through the, the the mindset of a pro when the rim is the size of the ocean. I mean, you drop fifty one. I mean, there are a lot of people can't drop fifty one playing against a bunch of middle schoolers, and you an adult. That's a tough task. But walk us through the minds mindset for you. And at what moment did you realize, man, they can't stop me? Everything I throw up is following. It's 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 going through the realm. Yeah, um, going into that night when I had fifty one, um, when I got to the game, um, Kevin Love wasn't playing, and then Kevin Martin he ended up not being able to play. So mm-hmm. I said, oh, it's gonna be a lot of shots out there. <laughs> oh, I said, I'm about to go get thirty or forty tonight. They oh, you out. said that before the game when when you found out they weren't playing. Yeah, I was just you know I was joking, but I wasn't joking. Yeah, I, there's a lot of shots out there. I'm about to go get them up. So I seen my first three or four go in. And I was like, oh, it's going to be a good night. And then um, my guy Ricky Rubio's and J.J. Barrera, they just kept feeding me. They kept saying, oh, go. Keep going, bro. Keep going. Yeah. Thing I know I looked up and I had like 26, 27 at the half. I said, ooh, it's going <laughs> to be a good night now. And then second half, they just kept playing me the same way. And I just feel like I couldn't miss. Like you said, it's like an ocean out there. I was like, anything I threw up was going in. It was going in. It was going to fall. I can tell you this much. It wasn't just the offensive performance. You know, you've always been a high-energy guy on the defensive end. I think you had like six steals as well. You know, you had a complete ball game. Your previous high before that matchup was 29, and you were able to drop a 50-burger. Another outstanding game in your professional career, a game that I still remember to this day, you know, I, I wasn't a Rockets fan, but I hated the Clippers because I'm a L.A. fan. I'm a Laker fan. You know what I mean? I'm a, a real L.A. fan. There's only one basketball team in L.A., and that's the Lakers, if you're asking me. The Game 6, Game 6, 2015 Western Conference semifinals. You guys, unbelievable comeback, dramatic comeback to say the least. And you guys were able to do that with your star player, James Harden, basically on the bench. Uh, talk us through that moment, being able to come from a 3 one deficit to ultimately 
kicked the Clippers out of the playoffs. Talk about that game six. Oh, man, that's some instant classic right there. Yeah, yes, it is. That's a game, Corey, a lot of people don't talk about as being one of the more iconic games in playoff history because you guys were down 3-1. No one gave you a shot. The Clippers were loaded. I mean, they could have just sealed the deal in game six. You guys came from behind with your best player basically watching. Oh, yeah, it was um, it was one of those games. Um, I just remember being down 20. And in my mind, I was like, we're down. Yeah, you guys were down. I forgot you guys were down 20. <laughs> Got to make something happen. Got to make yeah. something happen. And so I just like, I'm just going to be aggressive. I was like, hey, if I'm going to go out, if we're going to go out, I'm going to go out shooting. And I just remember I got an N1 layup. And from then on, next thing I remember, I hit a three to put us up by one. And the rest was history. And think about this for listeners, for the listeners and viewers, uh, that's checking in to us. All things covered. Patrick Peterson, Brian McFadden. We got Corey Brewer on show, on the show with us. The Rockets outscored the Clippers 40 to 15 in the fourth quarter alone. Think about that. Just dominated the fourth quarter. You guys were down 20 at one point. Corey, you had a great game. 19 and 10, 19 and 10 plus 32 when you was on the court. I mean, you, you were one of the catalysts that led the comeback, to say the least. You know what I mean? Your face should forever be good in Houston now. You should go out and get free stakes anytime you walk through Houston because you're one of the catalysts that led the comeback, led also Jason Terry was on that team. Trevor Reza, Josh Smith, Dwight Howard, he had a monster game on the boards as well. I mean, that, that, that game was something that it seemed like you guys just snatched the game from the Clippers mentally and physically in game seven. When you guys did what you get, what you did in Game Six, it was a wrap. I knew you guys were going to win in Game Seven. Oh, for sure. Um, we knew it too. Once you win a game like that, you know, at their place, they're up twenty, and we come back and win. Oh, uh, Game Seven. Uh, we for sure knew we were going to win that game, and we came out and we just we just took it from. Them. Yeah, and speaking of the excitement, you guys were able to do that without James Harden being a key uh, point to your success. What was going on with James Harden at that time in that ball game? Because he didn't look like he was himself. Um, this is one of those games. He just wasn't playing his best basketball. And, yep. you know, when your star player's not having one of his best games, that's when the guys like us got to step up and help him out. And that's what we did because we knew we we came out. We did what we had to do. We get the win. We knew game seven, James Harden was going to be James Harden. I think he came out and had a crazy game. That's why we won. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, later on, it was short-lived, but you was able to reunite with your college coach, Billy D. In OKC, you only played 22 games there with the Thunder. But what was that like for you being able to reunite with Billy Billy Donovan? Um, it was great just to see him in um, the NBA, NBA atmosphere, um, just see see how he's, things come full circle, you know, going from college. Now we're in the NBA. He's coaching in the NBA just to play for him again. Um, it was amazing. I played pretty well, too. I think I have a double figures. I was starting. Yeah. We just didn't do what we needed to do in the playoffs. Utah played, they played great. Ricky Rubio had a really good series and Donovan Mitchell, but, um, you know, it was amazing just to be with coach again. You know, it was 22 games, but um, it was a great experience. Yeah. And you're, you're coaching right now with the Pelicans, but just a few months ago, to say the least, you know, you were still in the NBA. Uh, your final game in the NBA occurred in the bubble. Uh, what was that experience like? You played five games in the bubble, but what was that like for you? Um, it was unique. Um, you know, everything going on in the world, just for us to be able to play basketball again, it was great. But the bubble is different. It's different. You know, yeah. you miss your family. But, um, you know, basketball is basketball. Just have the opportunity to go do something that's never been done. Mm-hmm. Um, just be in that situation to see it firsthand. 
I'm happy I got the experience. Yeah, and, and and I know you're still in pretty good shape to say the least. If a playoff team were to call you right now and they said we want to bring you in and pick up James Harden for 94 feet, would you do it? Oh, for sure. I can do that right now. I can do that for 48 <laughs> minutes. Hey, hey, and you know, mentioning the 94 feet, you remember that outstanding performance in Philly. Oh, for sure. In, in the battle between you and James Harden, you, the unique thing about that was you guys used to be teammates. So he knows all your tricks. I'm pretty sure you know his tricks as well. But I never seen anybody, and I think James Harden is an outstanding, prolific scorer. But I never see any seen anybody annoy James Harden like you did when you were in a Sixers uniform. Was that something that you came into the game trying to do? Like when you got an opportunity to guard him, you're going to pick him up uh, from baseline to baseline. Uh, every time I play against James, I pick him up full. I think um, we beat him when I was in the with the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Pick him up full. We were somewhere else. I was on another team. I'm always going. Hey, you might score forty. It's going to be the hardest forty of your life if I'm guarding. Put it that way, because I'm picking you up full court all night long. So you're going to have to work for everything. Hey, and- you know, hey Corey, that's what I used to do when I used to be playing pickup basketball, especially when I was in college. That was my, another opportunity for me to get in, uh, get some conditioning in. So I would do the same thing. If they score, I'm in your face as soon as the ball is out, out, out of bounds. I'm oh. going to guard you the entire time because that was an opportunity for me to get conditioned. But you don't see NBA players doing that like you used to do that. You, you was a, a frequent defender baseline to baseline. Yeah. I felt like if, if I was guarding a guy, I was going to make it tough on him because by the fourth quarter, all those shots they was making early. They're, they were going to be short because I was going to wear them down. And, and what was the feeling like there? Because I remember that game. And for you guys that don't know exactly what we're talking about, go back and watch that matchup. But I think, didn't they, they inject, eject James Harden? That foul? Nah, he didn't get ejected. He didn't get ejected, but they called a foul. You Basically, you were you started the little hand fighting. They didn't see you, but they saw him because I saw you went, you you were emotional. The the crowd went crazy. Everybody went crazy. They hit James uh, Hart with a ticky tack foul, but initially you kind of got that going. Uh, what was that feeling like for you? Because the crowd was definitely behind you. You had a dunk on a fast break and everything. You hung on the rim. I mean, what was going through your your mind and your body at that time, seeing that you started to kind of rattle one of the best scorers in the game? I was having a blast, and yeah. not to mention I was on a ten day, so it was yes. 100%. like I tell everybody I was on a ten days starting and stuff. Like I've had a crazy career. So for me, it was amazing. Philly fans are, are great. I love Philly fans. So they were, they were up. So that was a great game. Would you say talking about the fans there in Philly, you know, look at all the organizations you play with in the NBA. If you were to rank fan bases, would you have Philly number one? It'd be up there for sure. When I was playing, um, Philly, OKC is great too. OKC, mm-hmm. when I was in, got the OKC, they're all about, they're all about the thunder. It's amazing. Um, I played for some good fan bases because even the Rockets, the Rockets love, Houston loves their, their, um, Rockets. The Nuggets, when I was in the Nuggets, we had it rolling. I think, um, we lost one or two games one year when I was there at home. We were like 40 and two. Wow. And that thing was, when you came in there, you was not winning. So I played with some good fan bases. So it's, it's hard to say who's number one because they were all great. Well, I'm pretty yeah. sure the Sixers fans would say they, they're number one. I think Philly fans would say they're number one in anything. Basketball, baseball, oh, yeah. football, sure. hockey, like, 
That's why you got to love Philly. Yeah, it, it doesn't even matter. They, they would say they're number one, rightfully so, because they just bring that type of passion. Uh, you played with Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram, who I call silky smooth. His game is so smooth and it's so effective. Uh, when, when they were there in LA, of course, you talked about your time there in La La Land as well. But what is it like to be on the other side of it now with them as a coach? Um, it's good. It's actually, um, it's good for me just because I know how to connect with those guys. So if I really need to tell them something or if I want to tell them something, I can. And they know where it's coming from. It's coming from a place to just want them to be better. Just want them to be great. Cause I think Brandon's amazing. He's, he's great. And, um, just being around and being his teammate now, like just us being able to meet coach and him and player, just to be able to talk to him and tell him different things. It's, it's great for me. What do you think has been? Not the sole reason, but one of the reasons for the development that we're seeing from Silky Smooth and Brandon Ingram. Because right now, I knew he had that that type of skill set when he was in a Lakers uniform. I didn't want them to trade him, to tell you the truth. Uh, because I was a fan of him at Duke, because I'm a Duke basketball fan. Um, and there's nothing against Florida State, but I just grew up uh, liking Grant Hill when he was in a Blue Devils uniform. So it was only right that I liked Duke basketball. But now what we've seen from Silky Smooth and Brandon Ingram, well, he can get to the rim at any given time. Uh, that, that, that three ball is falling for him. That mid-range jumper is falling. What's, what's maybe the, one of the main reasons we're starting to see this guy just dominate week in and week out, night in and night out? Um, he puts in the work. Um, mm-hmm. And he's only 23 years old. I Super think young still. People don't understand how young he is. He's only getting better. And he's only yeah. going to get better. But it comes with him, his work ethic, just working so hard, and just confidence now. You know, he, we knew he was good in LA, but he comes to New Orleans and they kind of just like, here, you know, you're one of our, you're, you're going to be one of our guys. Like, you and Z, you and Zion got to go out here and you got to put up, be able to put the ball in a hole. You got to be an all-star, which he was an all-star last year. Yeah. For us to be good. And I think it's just helping him go to another level. He's only going to get better. Yeah, silky smooth is what I call Ingram, man, because he, he, he got a smooth, it's a silky smooth game. And that sense of urgency is not really there, but he don't really need it because he's smooth enough to get to where he needs to go. Uh, speaking of Zion, I'm pretty sure just like all of us, you know, you were following him before he became a pro because he had that type of media attention. But what's something you didn't realize about him before you got up close with him as a coach? Um, Just how athletic he really is. I knew he was athletic. But you know, he's six six. Like you don't you don't think he's really he's that athletic. He's yeah. past athletic. He's he's on another level. Like his athleticism it's not even on the chart how athletic he is. And the things he's doing the basketball court, just to be as big as he is, man, he's so fast and athletic. I just sometimes I'm just looking out there like there's no way this guy just just did that. What's the most athletic thing you've seen him do so far? I think um, a couple games ago, he went up. It was I forgot who we were playing, but the guy was seven foot. And, like, he met him at the rim, and, like, Zion hit him. And it's like he just stayed in the air. <laughs> it was, it's unreal. Like, he stayed in the air. The big guy goes down, and then he laid it up. I was like, there's no way that just happened. Yeah. <laughs> like, every every game he does something, like, he'll go baseline. It'll be a guy there. He'll double pump dunk it. Like, mm-hmm. he'll wait till he'll hold it. Bring it back down. Wait till the guy goes to the ground, then dunk it. That hang time is Jordan light. Yeah, it's 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 amazing, man. The things he do, whoo, it's a special dude to be twenty years old. No question. Yeah, I, I got y'all. Yeah, I got y'all a superstar. Uh, uh, 
an up-and-coming superstar, to say the least. Heck, y'all got two up-and-coming superstars right now in New Orleans with Zion and Silky Smooth, Brandon Ingram. There's a clip uh, that has been circulating on social media with you on a fast break when you're with the Wolves versus the Thunder. <laughs> i never seen a man grab his dribble from the three-point line and still lay it up <laughs> without dribbling. But was that a travel? Yeah. Hey, they didn't call it a travel, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell them myself say it was a travel. So, <laughs> hey, Corey, but how did they miss that? I was just going so fast. So sometimes <laughs> you said speed is a part of your game, right? Speed kills. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't tell. They couldn't even. They couldn't even see my feet. They were moving so fast. Hey, that got to be one of the biggest miss and one of the best misses of any referees in the NBA because you 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 gather your dribble almost a foot in front of the three point line and got to the rim still. <laughs> hey man, everybody they get on me about that. I say, hey, if the ref didn't call it, it was not, not a problem. It's not a call. That's what we say, man. If, if it's no flag, it's not a penalty. I don't care what you say, yeah, it's not a penalty at all. All right. Before we let you go, Corey, we want to get to the superlative part of our show. It's just a few rapid fire questions. Want to get your honest answer. Number one, best pure score in NBA history. Pure score in NBA history. Ooh, pure score NBA history. Man, it's hard to go against Kobe. You know, playing playing against Kobe, rest in peace. I'm gonna say Kobe. What's your favorite Kobe Bryant moment? Man, on the play playing against him. Oh, playing against him. Just I remember in the playoffs. Um, I was in Denver. We were in Game Seven. Uh-huh. I, I had a good game in Game Six. And I think it was going into the fourth quarter, and I was guarding. He was like, "Yeah, it's over now." What was the score at that point when he told you that? I think it was a close game. We might have been up four. They was just up four. In my mind, I was like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. We just won game six. Yeah. Whatever, man. Next thing I know, I looked up. He had scored like eight straight. I couldn't do nothing about it. I said, oh, man. Hey, that your defense wasn't working on on, 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 on the beam? Nah, he didn't even see me. I don't even think he seen me out there. That's do you remember I, what he finished with that night? I have no idea. I know they won. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's crazy. That's crazy. Best defensive player during your time in the NBA. Now, Draymond came out and basically said he self-proclaimed the best defender ever. Do you agree with that statement first and foremost with Draymond saying he's the best defender ever? Um, he's definitely one of the best defenders ever. Just the way he changed the game. You know, uh-huh. He changed the game because he, he's guarding one through five, like things he's doing the court. I give him that. Like he definitely one of the best. He changed the game. Just with his versatility. But for me, um And during that, your time, who would you say the best defensive player is during your time? Um, I'm gonna go um Ron Artest and um Tony Allen. Those two guys Ooh, were the grind father. Man, those those two tough guys, man. Yeah. Ron Artest could Ron Artest actually he was guarding centers. <laughs> like he was guarding everybody also. So but Ron doesn't, you know, he has some incidents, so he don't get enough credit for how good he was defensively. And Tony Allen was a monster, man. Like the way he used to guard um all the guards back in the day when the mm-hmm. game was different. When, when it was a lot more ISO action, a lot more mid post with those guys, um, with Kobe, T Mac, and all those guys. Um, so he was he was a great defender. And he went against some names. You just said Kobe, T Mac. You know when T Mac was in his prime, whew, I think he don't get enough credit, in my opinion. Because he used to can go, you know, when in his prime. And now as a coach, Corey, when you watch the game, who would you consider, you know, one of the top defensive players currently in the NBA right now? 
right now. It's a lot of it's a lot of good defenders. Um, you know, Draymond for sure is gonna always gonna be up there. What he mm-hmm. did, um, Rudy Gobert really controls the paint. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ben Simmons right now the way he's playing, playing amazing. No, don't 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 say Ben Simmons, man. Our producer's probably falling out right now. He's a Ben Simmons fan. Uh, he's, he's really guarding this year. So, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of a lot of guys can really guard. You just made Eric's day, man. You just made his year saying Ben Simmons, best defensive player. But to your point, he has been playing some real good defense uh over the last few months, to say the least. So I, I can't knock you there. Most intense coach you played for. Most intense. Most intense. Ooh. That I played for? Yep. I'm going to say um Coach Donovan was the most intense in college. Like, mm-hmm. the way he was in college is – Oof. But in the NBA, um, George Carl was pretty intense when I played yeah. back in Denver. Yeah, I, I figured you would say George Carl. Yeah. Last question for you. Best player you went up against in college? In college? Yep. Some good players, man. That I had to guard, I'm going to say um, Al Thornton. You're a Florida State guy. People don't remember Al Thornton was a monster. No question. Played for the Wizards a little bit. Yeah, and and the Clippers. Like, he was like that 3-4. He was a problem for me because he was a 3-4, so he could handle, but he was a big man. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm going to say, I'm going to give him the, I'm going to give him the, yeah, let's say Al Thornton. Okay. Yeah, Al could put it in there. He could put it in there. He was, like you say, extremely long and athletic. You know what I mean? Play, uh, play for the, the Wizards. I think he played a little bit with the Clippers, if I'm not mistaken. I know he played for the Wizards a little bit. Yeah, he was first round pick. He, he could yeah. go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you for your time. I know you're extremely busy, uh, you know, coaching with the New Orleans Pelicans, but thank you for joining us. Corey Brewer here, all things covered. Patrick Peterson, Brian McFadden, man. We had a quality, quality conversation and make sure you check out if that was a travel or not. <laughs> Minnesota versus, uh, OKC, Timberwolves versus the Thunder. Make sure you let us know if that was a travel or not. But Corey, thank you for joining us, joining us, man. It was an awesome experience, man. And wish you nothing but great luck. Best of luck this year. And tell Silky Smooth, man, I'm still a fan. Even though he's not in a Laker uni- uniform, I'm still a fan. I got you, dude, man. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Be safe. Thanks again to Corey Brewer and thanks again to everyone for listening to this episode of All Things Covered. If you like what you hear, make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. In case you missed our previous episodes this week, you can go check out our conversations with draft prospect Rondell Moore, as well as a focus on HBCUs with Hall of Famer Aeneas Williams and legendary Southern coach, Coach Pete Richardson. And that's not all. We still have more episodes dropping this week where you know all things will be covered. Peace. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.